0: Welcome to The Upload, I'm Allison Bektesh. thanks for tuning in, I hope you're well. This week?
1: Absolutely, we have so much funding, we can make it rain on you if you want, because the CARES Act established a coronavirus relief fund that specifically allocated monies to local and state municipalities and governments. Eight
0: months after the first COVID-19 cases were found in our community, widespread public testing may be on the horizon. But first, election week coverage, we look at the outcome of our local races, some of which remain too close to call. That and more coming up on the upload. Welcome to the upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. In order to fill us in on all that has happened this week, and oh my God, what a week! I'm joined by our editor, Megan Tackett. Hi Megan, how
2: are you?
1: Hi Allison. doing
0: well, thanks for having me. Of course, and our reporter Matthew Bennett. Matt, how are you?
2: Good, thank you all so much for having me.
0: I'm so glad you're both here to join me um, because all I wanna do right now is talk about the news. (laughs) I can't concentrate on anything else. I think all of America is on the edge of their seat as we await some national results of who our next president's gonna be um, here at 1111 in the morning on a Friday. Uh, after election day but what we're going to get into for the upload this week is our just as fascinating local elections which also have some drawn out uh counting to be done matt i'm going to go right to you because it's the one thing i still don't know do we have decided races for garfield county commissioners at this point
2: yes and no (laughs) that would be the overall tone i'd say there so To start out with in the District 3 race between Leslie Robinson and Mike Sampson, there's still about 991 votes separating them in favor of um, the incumbent Republican Mike Sampson. And at this point, I think Leslie Robinson, um, she has conceded because it's just not in the cards. Now, John Martin and Beatrice Soto is where things get really interesting because they're separated right now by about 517 votes was the last count I got right before we went on the air. And I also had the pleasure of speaking with Beatrice Soto on the phone as well. And she told me that according to the chair of the Democratic Party, there's still maybe 750 votes out there. Okay. So I know also for a fact that Jean Albarico said there was a little over 500 due to the fact that they had accidentally it wasn't she was clear it was not an error because you all she always withholds ballots it was not an error anything like that but the judges accidentally held back about 10 ballots per each ballot style as opposed to just a couple but in their defense that's what they did during the primary election and because there wasn't any you know clarity they said we're going to do this for this but they have about 40 different ballot styles so it's it's um, frankly, it's completely understandable that Beatrice is going to wait. If you have 750 votes out and there's a 517 vote different and you've had over $73,000 spent on your campaign that's garnered so many votes and so much excitement, why would you just concede to someone who's held the seat for a quarter of a century? I think they can wait two weeks. So. Okay,
0: wonderful. Um, just to clarify, one of the things you said there, the, the bit different ballot styles. Of course, you can be a Garfield County resident, um, but live in different, for instance, like rural fire districts than your neighbors. And so there's different style, there's different things that these different county members are voting on, depending on where they physically live, they get a different ballot than their neighbor and, and we hold one or two back for that. If you multiply that by 10, you're almost at 500 ballots right there, just as a safety check. Megan, I want to come to you with your thoughts on this John Martin, uh, Beatrice Soto race here, because it is, it's kind of a microcosm of races we're seeing like for CD three nationally, what are the, what's the kind of philosophical battle or what are some of the contrast between these two candidates?
1: It is a little bit of a philosophical difference, right? Because Um, On the one hand, Beatrice is a political newcomer. She's a young Latina woman. um, And in a county that, across the board, our three Garfield County commissioners are all white, cisgendered, straight men. And there's no offense meant toward that demographic. um, But when three out of the three fit the same, that's not really reflective of the constituents. And so, you know, supporters of Beatrice are maintaining finally, yes, we need this fresh perspective. We need a Spanish speaking woman who, you know, is on the ground living in the community, you know, really has her finger on the pulse of the concerns of those groups. Um, On the flip side, uh, you have John Martin, who has been in for ages and ages. And a lot of supporters are You know rightfully voting for him because their lives under his stewardship have gone well there's no reason to change what's not broken as it were um statistically incumbents usually do win in elections like maybe not so much in the recent like past four years or so but certainly traditionally in political science arenas that would be true you know even taking the two actual candidates out of it, it's kind of not fair. My heart goes out to both of them in that regard, because there is this philosophical context for this race that has actually very little to do with the candidates themselves, right? They fit certain boxes and that's beyond their, they can't help that, that's beyond their control. And yet an outsider, an analyst is going to look at those factors. Um, Now, in terms of what they are speaking about, it's a local position but Beatrice does talk more about some of the more national issues and that's been a point of criticism from John is saying hey but what about Garfield County specifically this is I've been in this role these are the issues I'm concerned about and I'm not seeing that from my opponents so it's, it's just interesting to see this separation of what the candidates themselves are saying versus a larger zoomed out lens on this particular race.
0: And, and so it sounds like we are still waiting on the Garfield County clerk to get those numbers in and in and, and that little limbo. What we did find out just today, just uh, yesterday evening, I suppose, a couple of days after election, same part of our Valley, uh, the Senate, state Senate seat district eight, um, was closely contested, but we did have a concession last night, um, challenger, Carl Hanlon, um, who was up against Bob Rankin, who is currently the Republican who's currently serving to represent those counties, including Garfield, but also summit grand Jackson Moffat, that, that Northwest corner. And, and what I'm he- hearing from you, Megan is and a little bit like the fact that these are close races is quote victory right we we are showing that people who have never had representation are showing up that there is room for someone like this to be representing these communities they just didn't win this time but maybe next time but uh in the end matt we really do have bob rankin going back to represent this community yet again so like in the end you don't both get to share the title
2: yeah it's that's a great it's a great question and a great point because you often hear that if you go back, for example, to the county commissioner race uh, two years ago between Paula Stepp and uh, Tom Jankowski, there was there was a lot of uh, energy behind Step, you know, and it was a close race. And I feel like Beatrice in a way built a little bit upon what Stepp did in that race. It's, it's, it's just tough to say because you look at other races, though, where you have someone like Colin Wilhelm, who's running again for HD 57 after losing to Rankin. Um, you know, when Rankin had held the seat, and this time just frankly getting trounced by Perry Will. So, in, in some aspects, um, yes and no, I think, you know, maybe, I, but I think the yes is probably next time, next election. Okay. I don't think Rankin's going to all of a sudden change philosophically, um, nor do I think John Martin is. I think they're going to hold on to those values because those values have continuously gotten them elected. So, I think, yes, this is encouragement for Democrats, but it's still disappointment, frankly.
1: I also think it's really interesting how we're seeing uh, an influx in Roaring Fork Valley um, influence on Garco, right, because we talk about Garfield County, and we are up in Aspen, and so you think Roaring Park Valley, you think Glenwood Springs, yeah, you might go a little farther out, but Garfield G- County goes to the Utah-Colorado border, so sure. there is a whole different demographic out there, and um, some very siloed cultures that all together create this mosaic that is Garfield County, so when we see, you know, the the support behind Paula Polistat, behind Beatrice Soto, um, I think a behind Leslie Robinson, right? A lot of that is coming more from Carbondale and Glenwood Springs. Um, oh. So it's interesting to see that that increase in influence.
0: Again, that's so, so mirrors what we're seeing across the country, right? Urban centers um, can swing. Like if anyone's watching the Nevada race right now, you've got two blue counties and everything else is red. And some of the national networks are, are starting to say, this looks like a win for Biden. And so part of the, I think people looking at that map are saying, well, it's two to two to 50. How can you win? But these urban centers, I mean, it's it's one vote per person, right? So it's where the people are not necessarily where the physicality of these districts are that are determining a lot of our races on every level. Let's do move up the valley a little bit, Megan, the picking county commissioners also that's a five member board had had three seats up one unopposed and, and Greg poshman. Um, but then these two other contested races, which were played out, I think very um, evenly throughout the campaign, um, good debates in both district four and district five, and then absolute crush both of them coming down to a 75-25 split between the eventual victor and the challenger. I mean, these are huge spreads to be seeing, like very, very clear what the voters thought in these picking county races.
1: Yeah, I was shocked, to be honest with you. I was so, so surprised. I wasn't surprised with the outcome in terms of who ultimately was the victor, but that 75-25 split on both of them, I was so surprised. Um, You know, I remember just sitting on our editorial board, you know, everything is a majority vote. We have a five-person community member majority editorial board. And when we talked about the Steve Child, Chris Council question, you know, at first I thought I was writing up an endorsement reflecting a three, two vote towards Steve Child. And then subsequently one of our board members changed his position. And so then I was writing a different endorsement, still a three, two split for Chris Council. And I thought that that was going to be much more reflective of the larger electorate. I thought for sure it would be a much closer race. Um, You know, I, I was very keenly aware uh, of the weight in my mind that it held that nearly every one of Steve Child's colleagues um, on the board of county commissioners were very, very vocal in their support of his He is campaign. the one
0: incumbent, I'll point out.
1: Yes, he is the incumbent. And so, you know, it, that to me uh, spoke volumes. And so I thought that that might kind of sway toward him um but when you looked at the letters to the editor in in you know the public forums there was a lot of support for chris council and you know they each like you said very even keeled in terms of they each submitted guest columns that we certainly ran i believe the times ran as well um you know they both were very avid and and eloquent in their um presentations on squirm nights you know they were really present um i think chris actually more so than steve in the early part of the campaign, right? You know, and again, kind of going back into this philosophical split of what these two candidates represented. Chris Council is in so many ways, quote unquote, new snowmass. You know, he's a a former Aspen Daily News photographer, actually lives in employee affordable housing, you know, young guy, big go-getter had, you know, had served on the APSHA board, had all the social media, had the website in check, you know, is very communicative in his email newsletters what you would expect from a quote-unquote modern-day campaign. And then you have Steve Child, who is, you know, in his 70s, retired uh, school district employee, rancher, lives literally lives in Old Snowmass on his family's property, um, you know, had a, a Facebook campaign page, but certainly no website. Um, and, and he even told me, it was very sweet, I got the opportunity to inform him that he had won. And, you know, he told me in his immediate reaction, he thought, I was so nervous because I, I thought, well, the younger generation doesn't know me. And, you know, Chris has gone out of his way to make sure that they do know him. And I really, I was nervous. And I thought in hindsight, maybe I should have taken out more newspaper ads. Maybe I should have gotten yard signs and done some of that traditional campaigning that he just didn't do. Um, but so that to that, I was very, very surprised when it was a 75-25 split in favor of Steve.
0: So one point that Chris Council made um, as to why he thought that split was so big was the kind of straight party ticket voters in that um, Steve Child had Democrat next to his name. Council did not have a party affiliation next to his name, though he said, you know, throughout his campaign, he is a Democrat. Well, what happened in Picken County was the chair of the Picken County Democrats and, and the kind of... Um, crew that that is as a whole said, Council, you seem great. How about you give child another, give him his final term. He's been there eight years. He gets one more, give him his final term. And then as a community, the Democrats will come back and support you. And the way Chris explained that was like, I, didn't, I don't want politics to be like that. Like everyone should have a challenger. Greg postman who had no challenger said that, you know, it is good for democracy to have a challenger. So I will say um, what, what we did get to see during this race, even though clearly Steve Child had no problems sitting where he's sitting was the communication between the two of them. And we did learn, like I thought, finding out that Steve Child was so adamantly in support of Lee Mulcahy, a man who has been in the newspaper for, for five or six years for kind of abusing the affordable housing system. He was so staunch about that. We, that, that line would have never come out if he hadn't had a challenger, if he hadn't had to have a debate about what affordable housing should be used for here in the community. And I think he's gonna have to answer to his fellow county commissioners, speaking of who's on his board. Lee Mulcahy has threatened Kelly Kelly McNicholas Curry, who he's a neighbor with in Burlingame um, personally. And so for Steve to stand up and say, I think this guy is legit, I think he's great. Like that's that's a new conversation that that board is gonna have to have amongst themselves. And then that young vote is really interesting to me because since I've moved here as a person who feels old, but is somewhat young compared to our, um, our electorate, the young vote has never mattered in Aspen. And, and like Ireland, our, our data specialist will say that all, all the time. The, the young vote will never ever overtake that kind of old school Pickin County Democrat older vote. And, and this was, I mean, not even close. It's clear that that's true.
1: I mean, I agree, right? If you look at the numbers, it just,
0: quote unquote, doesn't matter, right? A similar split um, in the Jacober-Evans race. Uh, We don't have to spend too much time on that, but I did think it was a really endearing moment that you shared in in your reporting, uh, this um, really sweet anecdote about Francie Jacober that she thought it was a volunteer position when in fact it's more than I'll ever make in my life. Right.
1: I just thought that was so sweet (laughs) and so indicative of who Francie is as a person, which to me, I was not as surprised about that 75 25 split. Her, Her family's just been a long time ranchers in the Carbondale area. She is a Crystal River Valley resident. And so, you know, she's going to be able to represent that constituency within the county in a very authentic way while still being completely plugged into what's going on
0: on the east side of of the valley. So the one other thing that we are flooded with this week besides election coverage um, is a rumor of an influx of COVID-19 testing. And I only say it that way because we have heard that testing is rolling out um, multiple times since that pandemic thing started in March. And so I I will like to uh, reserve comment until I see it. However, uh, Matt, let's start with you. We did, in fact, get um, testing Uh, set up by the Aspen Valley Hospital, but in Basalt this week. I'm not clear. Is this is this community testing? Is this free show up if you're curious kind of testing?
2: That's my that's our understanding right now. So it's like you say, it just opened um, the day after election day, um, which is still ongoing, as we know. But (laughs) yeah, so it's it's from 830 to noon every day. And basically, you know, the main talking point is you don't need a doctor's referral, right? That was the big um, setback, and so so that's the great news. And basically, you go online and you enter your symptoms. and And my understanding is it it is available and it is free. Now, if you have insurance, they are going to bill that. But if you don't, you know, you're still going to get the tests. And frankly, it's great because you know we we need more testing. Um, so to finally see this coming out, um, particularly. When we're gonna see an influx of so many tourists, you know, I think the timing's spot on, and um, it seems like they're really trying.
0: I think that's what I opened up uh, my testing story with hammering home. Like the timing, as much as it sucked, can I say that word? It's not really a curse word. (laughs) (laughs) Frustrating as it was back when we didn't know if like exactly what SARS, COVID-2, like how bad that pandemic was going to annihilate the human race. We really wanted testing back then, right? And then as like summer has calmed down and we figured out how to maneuver around this virus. um, Really, if you had to choose Uh, when to get testing, it does seem that as cases are going up, and restrictions are, um, are squeezing debt back down and we're being forced inside. I mean, the biggest thing with a respiratory disease is that inhalation of someone else who has it. Uh, this is where it's gonna hit. And so if we had to get a good amount of testing at any given point, it does seem like the timing is okay now. Um, Megan, it also sounds like we needed a, a good reliable test and these curative tests that the company is called curative. Um, that's the first one that we've gotten that sounds like it is rapid enough to have an an impact on actually your actions. Yes, stay home and quarantine for 14 days immediately. And or you're okay to go teach at the school, for instance. Um, So it's quick enough, and it's accurate enough. And we did not have either one of those things in our hands until now. Yeah, the specificity
1: of these tests is apparently very, very good. Um, uh, Specificity being like when a test tells you that, you are positive, you can believe it, that it is in fact positive, that it tested for the correct, the specific coronavirus, because there are four known strains of coronaviruses, um, that is responsible for COVID-19. So when we talk about specificity, yes, a positive, Means a positive um, sensitivity uh, is still about a ten percent ish false negative rate on these tests, which is what I heard most recently from uh, David Bell, the superintendent of the Aspen School District. Um, that being said, uh, I have also heard ad nauseum over and over again from every health prof- like healthcare professional in this area that has said and cautioned from the get go a negative test should not actually impact your behavior, right? If you get that negative test, there is that 10% or upwards of 20, 25% in the early days of the pandemic, uh, chance that that was a false negative and that you did in fact have COVID-19. So you should just, act as if it was a false negative. You should still be quarantining. You should still be not necessarily isolating, right? But you should still be quarantining. You should still, you know, acknowledge like, oh, I've had a known exposure, I need to act accordingly. But um, having the peace of mind and confidence that knowing a false or a a positive test result actually means that you had COVID-19, that I think in some ways, is more important um, in terms of peace of mind, because when we had false positives, when we had 20, 25% false positive rates, I have heard so many anecdotes of people testing positive and telling themselves, well, I'm asymptomatic. It was probably a false positive. Well, I'm fine. So they didn't cooperate with contact tracers and they continued with bad behavior, etc. cetera. So um, no, I, I think being able to They're work with, company is is huge it's a huge development for our containment strategy
0: so you mentioned david boss superintendent of the schools you mentioned that because the school district is is really the first entity that was able to bring these curative tests tell me some of the insider info on like how how come the aspen school district was able to make a call to a company in california and all of a sudden bring the first iteration of some form of community testing to our community
1: that is is the million dollar question. Uh, I have not heard back from anybody at Pitkin County when I have called to ask these questions uh, since Saturday when, you know, the school district dropped its press release um, saying that, yes, we have 2000 of these curative PCR saliva tests and we're going to be able to offer free voluntary weekly testing now through December 30th and it really did come down to a small group as is so often the case of very strong women in this community. Um, There you know there was a registered nurse who um has put two kids through the Aspen School District now. And she, uh, the, the family used to live in LA. She was just back in LA visiting. As somebody in the healthcare industry, she was curious, curious what the process looked like. And so, She and her husband went and received a free test, completely asymptomatic, no physician's referral, no known exposure point. They were just, this was academic curiosity, truly. So they were able to get a test and she told me that by the time she woke up the next morning, she had a text message from this company curative telling her that she had tested negative for COVID-19. What I've come to understand is that this woman came back to Aspen continued her academic curiosity, called the company in LA, said, absolutely, you want tests? We can get you tests tomorrow. She called CDPHE, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and they said, oh, yes, absolutely. We have so much funding. We can make it rain on you if you want, because the CARES Act established a coronavirus relief fund that specifically allocated monies to local and state municipalities and governments. and It all goes away in Colorado anyway, thanks to an executive order. It all goes away on December 30th. And on Tuesday, they did their kind of dry run rehearsal with staff and tested upwards of 200 people. And as you reported, Allison, uh, in today's newspaper, one employee did test positive. Uh, And now today, on Friday, the school district is anticipating testing more than 1,000 students. The county has not returned my phone calls asking, hey, What's going on? Now, there's a lot that has happened. Obviously, Public Health Director Karen Kahneman, uh has resigned and will be leaving December 4th. So I know that the people at the county have had their hands full. So there are other reasons why they haven't prioritized calling me back. But um, I will be very curious and looking forward to those conversations.
2: You know, earlier, when we first reported on the basalt testing site opening, it was going to be like we said, November election day in um, which the day after, which would be Wednesday, and it was just going to be open Wednesday through Friday. Um, But I'm looking at the site now, and I see now that it's Monday through Friday. So I'm wondering also if that influx of tests and how they're going to do those two extra days. So,
0: As of yesterday, the county is boasting that they have maybe an uh, all clear on 8000 tests coming our way from um, the state of these curative tests. Um, The math, you know, the different times we've heard about how many tests we have in hand or approved to have in hand, the math doesn't quite add up to, um, in my mind, Uh, another 2,900 are being sought specifically from the city of Aspen, who would be able to have one of curative's mobile testing sites. So the company also either provides like a pod or a trailer um, for some of these tests to be overseen that has not been secured yet. So there's no press release on that yet. The other thing about that, though, to me, is that 8,000 is barely the population of Aspen. It's definitely not the population of Pitkin County. That means, does each person get one shot at finding out if they have COVID? Uh, how are, like We don't know anything about who's going to be prioritized. When I spoke with Sarah Ott, the city manager, yesterday, she said that this includes second homeowners and visitors um, in the testing site, which would diminish the ratio even further. So it sounds like policy is not part of the procurement yet as far as testing goes. And that's going to be really, um, I think that's going to be stressful to watch roll out because of how badly we know people in this community have wanted tests for 10 months, 10 months, you know, and we just, and to say we kind of have access, but not for you, or we have access, but for the family who just wants to make sure they can go sit at the sun deck while, while they're skiing, you know, there's going to be a lot that, that we've had the town and gown conflicts this entire time. And I think those are going to continue. I am curious. You just kind of snuck this uh, news tidbit in there, Megan, but if you could speak a little further, Karen Kenneman, public health director, is leaving during a pandemic, and she she's not everyone's favorite. You know, as you've said, if if a private citizen can bring schoolwide testing in in a by having a vacation in L.A., why couldn't we in ten months? Um, I think there's some some like the public health orders that we're under right now that don't feel logical. The two household five person uh, statewide, it's two household ten person. There's there's things that people have um, kind of riled against under her watch this entire time, and now we don't even have a director.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so um, we should have an interim named next week, is what the county manager said uh, during a press call um, when that was announced. That will be coming from somebody internally. You know, there's a 27-person staff on the public health department, so uh, it's grown exponentially um, during COVID. So somebody will get named in an interim capacity and there will be some overlap before she leaves on December 4th. But yeah, she began interviewing for a position in July uh, in her home state of Alaska and got a position with um, a foundation. And I think, you know, personally, I really get it. (laughs) Uh, She was the (laughs) first public health director that Pickin County has ever had because Pican County has only had a dedicated public health department since 2017. So, you know, in many ways she came on and, um, you know, the, the, her vision, really made sense in 2017 it did it was it, it was let's let's get equity in healthcare, and you know let's lower the the number of of students who are using tobacco products and and you know kids and you know it made sense now we're in the middle of a pandemic and a lot of it didn't make sense anymore and um I've always had a lot of compassion personally for Karen uh, through all of this. Even when I disagreed with communication styles, I wasn't, totally sure what information or data were informing some of these public health orders that were coming down the pipe or you know, questioned the ability to even enforce them. I still personally always had a lot of compassion for her because she never anticipated being in the public eye the way that she has been. And that's really hard. Um, and I think having gotten to know her personally a little bit through all of this, I think that doing philanthropy work for a foundation is a much better fit for her and her value system of what she wants to bring to the public health industry. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot more room for her um, conversation points about uh, increasing equity and access to health care uh, in, in a meaningful way through a foundation than through a public health department, as sad as that sounds. So um, I, I understand why she's leaving, but at the same time, um, yeah, we are heading into a winter season, as you rightfully pointed out, when we are going to be forced indoors or you know, because of the weather um, and we are navigating, what does a ski season look like and how do we just stay open so that our economic devastation doesn't continue um, into our peak season. Um, And we're going to do it without a public health director or potentially with somebody coming into the community from outside who hasn't been here for the struggles of 10 months and doesn't know that context and may or may not be successful in navigating our real estate market and finding housing and finding stability in their personal lives to allow them to thrive in a new professional endeavor. There are a lot of uncertainties right now.
2: Yeah, I think also, too. You know, I'm not going to fault somebody for getting a new job and going back home to their home state. I mean, I don't know what the circumstances were outside of that. It does you know, suck. I guess we've established we could say that word <laughs> that, you know, you're losing your public health director in the middle of a pandemic. But I think there's a bigger point here, and that is how grossly underfunded public health is across the country. And it's shining a light on, you know, I think a lot of people didn't even realize you have local public health departments other than to say, hey, can that service animal go into like a grocery store? We are seeing now just how underfunded these areas of government are. Public health should be, I mean, it's, that to me is really where the pandemic has shined a huge light is just the fact that when it first hit these public health departments locally, they did not know anything that was going on. They were so lost. They were so lost. They were being inundated with questions they could not answer. And they were hearing so much pressure from so many different people. And there was so much, so many people pointing fingers and this and that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I think a lot of these people that work in these departments are they're well-intentioned people, but, you know, they can only handle so much. And, um, I think they're going to have to take some hard looks at the budget and, um, you know, really probably step up their game as far as public health's concerned, because as y'all point out, um, you know, it's great. They did get testing, but how many months later? I mean.
1: Right. And to Karen's credit, Matt, you bring up a good point. That is a drum that she has been beating since long before the pandemic. She's personally gone to Washington, D.C. to lobby and say, hey, um, you know, <laughs> health is one of those universals <laughs> and, and across the country it is. It's not prioritized in budgets and then funding. So um, it'll be interesting to see how, like so many other things, COVID-19 has really put a magnifying glass on a lot of societal shortcomings. And it'll be interesting to see if we reprioritize and, and how so. Mm-hmm.
2: And I'll say this too, just between two counties down the road, when I used to cover Garfield County more, there was very little communication out of that health department. You had to go through, um, you know, their communications director, I mean, I felt like I was on the phone with, you know, the DMV, practically, it was just an embarrassment. Pitkin County, in their defense, they have a board of health, they do press briefings after. And, um, you know, it always seemed like there was things going on, at least behind closed doors, where they were, they were moving, and they were somewhat taking it seriously. But, you know, it may go back to the, the point you raised earlier, Megan, of, you know, three old white guys, who are still holding meetings in person in Garfield County. And we're wow. not, you know, and, and it's like, hey, um, are they taking it seriously, you know? Um, and and I, I think they are, but at the same time, it, it speaks again to just the difference of opinions between all these various communities kind of in a small area. And um, it can make things more confusing sometimes, but it's interesting to see um, who's getting what and why, I guess.
0: I also want to point out the public health department um, came under light, not just because of the pandemic, but you know that's that's wrapped in with our picking county social services and for the first time ever due to the pandemic. So many members of our community waited in their first ever food line, you know, like lift up Um, so many members of our community for the first time needed uh, f- free or reduced therapy. These are the kind of things that our public health and our social services departments on the county level take care of. Um, the, I, the last conversation I had with Karen Kenneman in person was, I mean, moments before we had our first coronavirus case here. And it was a two hour long conversation about what the county can do for mental health locally, because that was our number one public health issue. Prior to COVID, I think now that you have both, I mean, that, that has only exacerbated. So there, there is this understanding about what public health can do and what it means, because for the first time, people who thought they would never need the help of the government for anything to do with their body, anything to do with their health, they were in line too. You know, this hit everybody talking about that universality, Megan. And so I think uh, th- perhaps this is the, the light that needed to be shined on what like social services could be.
1: The belligerent optimist in me really, really hopes that uh, some people have found new space for compassion in in their worldviews and how we treat each other through all of this.
0: Matthew Bennett, Megan Tackett, thank you so much for joining me on The Upload today. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us, Allison.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Upload. I'm your host and producer, Alison Bektesh. You can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do you want to be on the show? Do you have thoughts you want to pass along? I check all the mail at upload at aspendailynews.com. Thanks to Matthew Bennett and Megan Tackett for being on the show today. This is the upload podcast from the Aspen Daily News. Listen, discuss, decide.